friends, can we give God one more shout of praise for the stories that we just got to celebrate? Amazing. Well, now I want you to look at your neighbor. I want to get you involved early. I want you to tell him the title of my message. I want you to look at him and I want you to say, go fish. Go fish. Go fish. If I haven't met you before, my name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at CTK. And this week I was really thinking about my process. I was thinking about the process of, of writing a sermon or a message or a story. And the first thing that I do when I sit down to, to, to write uh, a message is actually to think about the hook. Like, like what's the thing that's going to capture people's attention right out the gate and make them want to come along for the ride? Here's an example of a hook. It can be a picture. Can you throw that picture up on the... So last year, I, I put this picture up on the screen and I asked people what they saw and they said a black dot. It's a picture of a black dot. They said, I see a black dot. And I said, well, that's really interesting because 99% of this picture is actually white. There's a whole lot of white in this picture. It's just that we are just so preconditioned to focus on the black that we don't see the white. And I know there's hardship in your life, but I wonder, do you even see the sea of blessing that God has placed around you today? It's a, it's a hook. A, a hook could be a stat as well. I read this week that between 93 and 95% of all the time that you spend in person with your kids happen before they turn 18. Which, which means that we better treasure the moments that we have with them. We've got to hold them tight while they're under our roof because that season isn't going to last forever. That statistic just really puts an urgency to what it looks like to truly be present in parenting. You know, a hook could be a question as well. One of my favorites is, what if I preached the way that you listened? Like, what if I leaned in when you leaned in? What if I gave the same energy? What if I had the same expectation that you did coming in? What kind of a sermon would that be? It's the hook. It's the thing that brings people into the middle of the message so that you can talk to their hearts instead of their heads. Friends, I hope that you know I'm not just here to talk to your Sunday best. I actually want to preach to your Wednesday worst when you're stuck in traffic contemplating violence against the person who just cut you off. <laughs> Friends, it starts with a hook, which is interesting because that word hook is actually a fishing term. It's from the, the, the fishing world, and even though we're not using it to talk about fish, it's about fish. And I was collecting quotes this week. One of my favorites is this, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Or maybe you prefer Ron Swanson's version of that quote. Maybe that's more your speed. He says, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Don't teach a man to fish and you feed yourself. He's a grown man. Fishing's not that hard. Or maybe you like Dr. Seuss when he said one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Or maybe it's Henry Thoreau that you're into when he says the greatest tragedy in life is to spend your whole life fishing only to discover it was never fish that you were after. They're fish quotes, but the thing that ties them all together is this thread that they're not actually about fish. Fish is the subject matter, but it's not the lesson or the moral of the story. There's something underneath the surface that each one of these phrases is trying to help us to see. And friends, I spent all week working so hard to try and come up with a joke about the fact that we're doing a sermon series based on a bunch of stories about fish that were taken out of this book and the main guy who's gonna be preaching him, his name is Fish Book, but I haven't come up with the punchline yet, but, <laughs> but I'm gonna keep looking. I'll, I'll be back in a few weeks, maybe it'll be ready. 
But right now we're in this series, it's called Fish, but I just need you to know on the front end, it's not actually about fish, it's about why God chooses to use what he uses and why God chooses to do what he does. It's about following this thread throughout scripture and seeing where the almighty God wants to teach us and show us about his heart through a collection of stories about fish. Friends, he could have talked about creating the cosmos, he could have used the grandest metaphors known to man, and yet he chose to use language that was common to a fisherman. And today we're gonna to look at a, a piece of scripture that's Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. And I feel like God literally took this scripture and just like lit it on fire for me this week. So I've been praying all week that I could give it to you the way that I got it. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read the text and I'm gonna pray and then we're going to get to work. Does that sound good to you? Doesn't matter, we're gonna do it anyway, so. Matthew 4, starting in verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and the brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and the brother of John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, God, would you allow us to see what's underneath the surface of the story? God, we're not interested in the facts of the story. We're interested in what it is that you're calling us to grapple with. God, the risk that you're inviting us to take. God, would you speak, and God, more importantly, would you give us ears to hear? And you give us a heart, God, that's filled with boldness so that we can take what we know is true and God enact it into our life. God, we pray that we could be beacons of light and salt. God, I thank you for that picture, God, a baptism of resurrection life that we got to celebrate, Jesus. I feel like the sermon's already been preached. This is just the icing on top. But Jesus, we pray that we would not take it for granted. God, whatever it is that you have for each person here, would they move not just with it in their hearts, but God with it in their practice. We love you, Lord. This is all for you. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So this week, a friend of mine asked me to run a half marathon with him in September. Of course, I'd said yes, because it's in the future. And I love saying yes to things in the future because it feels amazing and it doesn't cost me anything today. But what I've learned over a lifetime of saying yes to things in the future is that just because it doesn't cost me something today doesn't mean it's not going to cost me. What I'm learning is that somewhere between now and then I'm going to have to show up and say yes to a set of work to prepare myself for that day. Because I very much relate to Gimli in Lord of the Rings when he says we dwarves are natural sprinters, very dangerous over the short distances. Friends, I'm very dangerous over the short distance. The only problem is that life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And if you want to hear well done, good and faithful servant at the end of your life, that means that you actually have to be faithful to the work that's in front of you today. That's what faithfulness is. It's not in the future, it's today. It's who are the people that God put in front of you, who are, or what is God actually inviting you to do and do you have the fortitude to say yes? Sean Flannery said, do something today that your future self will thank you for. Robert Kiyosaki said, your future is created by what you do today, not tomorrow. And Leonard Sweet said, the future is not something we enter, it's something we create. He's saying today's actions actually create tomorrow's realities. And this scripture, this Matthew 4 scripture, the calling of the disciples really came to life when I realized it's not just about Jesus calling the disciples, it's not just about fish, it's about Jesus 
inviting us to run the race and to run it with the end in mind. And today I've got three ideas I wanna share from this text. I wanna read the first part of it again. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed so if you pull out this scripture in your Bible, if you pull it out to Matthew 4, you're going to see a title, a header at the top of this story that says, Jesus calls the first disciple. Jesus calls the first disciple, which makes sense because functionally that's what's happening here. That's all good. Jesus is calling his disciples. So that's good. That's true. That's not wrong. That happened. And yet I would argue that there's something just underneath the surface that is actually more important than the calling of the disciples, that there's two words that most people just read by. They're just kind of the, the thing that we forget about and just move past in this text that actually changed the whole way that we read the scripture. There's two words in here that most people just think are the throwaway words, but to me, they're the key to the whole thing. And these are the two words. He saw. He saw. You're not convinced yet, that's okay. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw the two brothers. And here's why that matters. In the Hebrew, the word to see is also the same word that means to know, which means that Jesus not only saw, he knew these men before he called them. And what that means is that he knew their strengths and he knew their weaknesses, and yet he was not deterred or dissuaded. He said, come and follow me. So here's my first idea. God sees before he calls. God sees before he calls. This is one of those places where order, mattered, where order matters. God sees before he calls. And friends, this is the good news of the gospel that Jesus saw you and moved towards you anyway. He wasn't going in without an educated understanding of who you are. He knew and he still moved towards you. He still called you. He still said, will you follow me, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible is Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son and the son wastes his father's wealth and makes every wrong decision that you can make and ends up eating out of a trough that's meant for pigs. And in his lowest moment, scripture says that he got up and went back to his father's house. But while he was still a long way off, scripture says his father saw him and he was filled with such compassion that he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son came back to be a servant, but the father said, no, you're not a servant, you're my son. Even knowing everything that he knew, the father still moved towards the son. He couldn't stand idly by and watch as the son moved towards him. Instead, he ran as fast as he could so that he could cover him with his affections and reinstate him into the family. And this was outrageous and crazy in this culture. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel, not that we saw God, but that God saw us, that he knew us, that he knows you, that he knew the bad decisions that you would make and the insecurities and the sin patterns and the struggles. He knew what you did last summer. He knew what you did last night and the words that you say under your breath when you think no one's listening. He knew it all. And yet, instead of being turned away or dissuaded, he moved towards you and he called you a son and a daughter of the most high king. This is the good news, not that Jesus chooses us on our best day, but friends, that Jesus chooses us on our worst. He's not deterred. His great love compels him to run after you with reckless abandon towards you. This is the story of Jesus. 
John Tyson says it like this, religion is man searching for God, but Christianity is God searching for man. Isn't that amazing? Religion is man searching for God, but Christianity is God searching for man. I don't know who this is for, but I came here to tell somebody that Jesus sees you. He knows you. He sees your pain. He sees your struggle. He sees your mess. He sees your doubt. He sees your work. He sees your effort. He sees your heart. He sees your heartbreak. He sees it all. And the good news of the gospel is that he still wants you on his team. He's saying, come, will you follow me? He saw them while they were fishing. I love Pastor Dwayne, he's, he's new. If you haven't met him yet, he's amazing. He's our new children's pastor. And he shared with us um, and our team that before Easter, he got together with all the volunteers and this is the prayer that they prayed for your kids. Lord, would every child be seen? Would every child be seen? And the more that I thought about that prayer, the more that I loved it because here's what I know, when I feel seen, I actually feel loved. There's no distance between those two things. I experience them the same way. I wonder who are those people in your life who really see you, who are not in a hurry. They actually sit down and they lock eyes with you. They actually aren't on their phones. They are engaged and they're looking not just to be with you, but to actually sit in that moment. Who are those people who see you? Because friends, the work of loving people is the work of seeing people because seeing people are loved people. Amen? He saw them while they were still fishing. Then he called them and said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. What a strange thing to say. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And in the ESV, it says, I will make you fishers of men. But I love this word choice because what it shows us is that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is literally catering his language to the very people that he created. He's not speaking down to them. He's actually speaking directly to them. Elohim, the almighty God, the creator of language itself uses words that are simple and intentional so that they might land in the hearts of the people he's talking to. Friends, this is what love looks like. It's not using impressive language. It's using language that people understand. I had this teacher back uh, at, a, at a school I went to and uh, she taught uh, algebra to her name was Ermila Malvacar, which should have been the first thing because it sounds like she would hang out with Cruella DeVille, but um, <laughs> Ermila was maybe the most brilliant person I've ever met. She had like five or six PhDs, I don't know, don't fact check me, but she was just this brilliant mathematician. The only issue is she was so brilliant that she couldn't find the language to actually hand it to somebody like me who hadn't mastered those concepts yet. She would almost be frustrated when somebody came with a question. She's so brilliant, and yet in her brilliance, she couldn't take an idea and make it simple for people like you and me. She's so smart, but then there's this God, and his ways are above our ways, and his thoughts are above our thoughts, and yet when he chooses to speak to you, he speaks in words that are specifically catered to you that are simple. This is the God that we worship, friends. Psalm 119 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Friends, you might not understand all the religious language that people use at church, but that's OBK because that's not the way that God talks to his kids. 
He doesn't do the thou thing. He doesn't do the King James version. He says, son, I see you exactly where you sit. And I'm gonna use language that speaks directly to you. Friends, he's not asking you to learn a new language. He's telling you today that he already knows your language. Here's my second idea. God speaks your language. He speaks the truth in the most loving way, which means he speaks it in a way that makes sense to you. He sees you. He knows you. He's not looking for a way to make the message complicated to you today, my friends. He's looking for a way to make it simple. And here's what that means for you, friends. When Jesus calls you, he's not inviting you to learn a new skill set. He's inviting you to take the skill set that you've spent your entire life learning and to start to begin to orient it in the direction of God. He says, if you're a fisherman, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to fish for men. If you're a welder, I'm going to invite you to connect together people for my glory. If you're a builder, I'm going to invite you to build the kingdom of God. If you're a baker, I'm going to invite you to share with people the bread of life. If you're a teacher, I'm going to invite you to teach people about the one who saw you and knew you and still called you. If you're a doctor, I'm going to invite you not just to care for people's bodies, but their souls. If you're a financial planner, I'm going to invite you to actually store up treasures in heaven. If you're a farmer, I'm going to invite you to plant some seeds for the kingdom, whatever it is that you're do Jesus isn't inviting you to do something else he's inviting you to do it with your whole heart unto the Lord this is what Jesus is inviting you to do today it's not to change courses it's actually to orient the course of your life so that you can actually partner with him friends this passage is proof that Jesus or isn't proof that Jesus loves fish it's proof that Jesus loves people enough to talk to them in language that they understand and if you want people to feel seen by you, don't use impressive language. Use language that they'll understand. It's not called dumbing it down, friends. It's actually called love. I'm not going to speak over you. I'm going to actually consider all the ways that I could say this to you, and I'm going to choose the one that you can take, that you can grab, that you can wrestle with. Jesus sees them. Jesus calls them in the language that they knew, but I want to talk to you for a moment about what Jesus is actually calling them to do. And I want to warn you on the front end, this idea is pretty simple. So it, it's not up here, it's, it's very much like in the way that we move through the world. And this is just the way that God gave it to me in Matthew 4, verse 18. It says, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Can you read that with me? One, two, three. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. This makes sense. This makes sense to me. That's what fishers do. They cast nets. This is what makes a fisherman a fisherman. And, and it really got me thinking about the essence of what makes a fisherman a fisherman. And I'm no expert on the subject, but I will tell you that I spent the first 18 years of my life in a small fishing community called Cordova, Alaska. If you've ever had Copper River salmon, those are my people. Those are the boats that I grew up around, so you're welcome. <laughs> and I spent a couple summers on the boats, and I was looking back at Instagram, actually, and it was telling me that this picture that I'm going to show you, it happened 641 weeks ago, which made me feel very old, but that's okay. Let's just throw it up under the screen. So this is the second picture that I ever posted on Instagram. If you look at it there, it says, hashtag deck low. That means that there's so much fish that you couldn't keep it underneath the deck. It actually spilled out onto the deck and then hashtag all the way to the bank. So you better bet that uh, young Brian had his mind on his money and his money on his mind. And if you want to know what the first 
Instagram picture that I posted is not quite as applicable, but let's show them the second one. It's a Chipotle burrito. But right there it says, craving one of these, hashtag proof of God. Hashtag proof of God, God loves us, right there. It's all you need. This is for uh, anybody who doesn't believe in God, just take a look at this picture. This is it. That's all I have to say about that. So all that to say, I'm no expert, but I've been around a lot of fishermen. I'm no expert, but I feel like I can pick them out of a crowd. And here's what I can tell you, and this is so simple, guys. So these are Grundins. This is the brand of the people. If you go up to Alaska and you see the fishing people, there's some Helly Hansen out there, but Grundins is, is, is where it's at. These ones are a little bit holy. These are my dad's pair. I think he got into a blackberry bush, but they're holy, but that's okay because this is church. So that's, that's all right. But, but fishermen love their Grundins, and then fishermen love their extra toughs. Before they were ever a fashion statement, they were functional footwear for the fishermen up in Cordova, Alaska. These are made in the U.S. You can't get them like this anymore, but these are my tried and true extra tufts, and fishermen love extra tufts. They love Grundens, and they love extra tufts. And here's, here's the idea. It's so simple. I think it's so important. I need you to know that putting on Grundens doesn't make you a fisherman. I need you to know that slipping on a pair of extra toughs isn't going to pay your bills. It's not going to do it because, friends, there's a difference between getting ready to work and actually working, isn't there? I was thinking about it this way. Friends, Jesus didn't invite them to dress like fishermen. He invited them to go fish for people. So you can look like a fisherman. You can dress like a fisherman. You can talk like a fisherman. You can actually smell like a fisherman. I don't know what that does for you, but none of those things actually make you fishermen. Here's my third idea. I told you it was simple on the front end. It's not the clothes that you wear that make you a fisherman. It's the fact that you, and here's my message title, go fish. It's the fact that you go fish. It doesn't matter what you wear. It actually matters what you do. You could be wearing none of these and you could be out there casting fish and you are a fisherman. And somebody could be wearing all of these. They could be wearing a goofy hat and that does not make them a fisherman because fishing is about fishing. It's not about catching. It's about actually casting the net. It's about baiting your hook and throwing it out into the sea. This is the essence of what it means to fish. It's the same as farming. You can have the nicest designer overalls and the best looking tractor on the block, but if you never put seeds into the ground, you are never gonna have a harvest. You are never gonna have a harvest. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Ecclesiastes 11, sow your seed in the morning and at the evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Galatians 6 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Friends, to follow Christ means that we need to do more than put on boots. We need to cast nets. We need to sow seeds. We're not called to dress up and play church. We're called to actually go out and be the church. We need to actually see people and know people and love people and move towards people. I came across this amazing quote this week. It says, don't watch the clock. Do what it does. Keep going. Keep moving in the direction of people. 
Maybe you're wondering, what does that look like? In Matthew 28, Jesus actually tells us exactly what it looks like. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want you to notice something. It doesn't say go therefore and pray for people of all nations, although do that. But no, it says therefore go and make disciples. Go to work, cross the street, bring someone a meal, make the first move, show people the love of God. Sit with people and don't rush. Get off your phone. Connect with people in a way that matters. Share with them the never-ending epic love story that God is writing with your life. Friends, go fish. We're not called to dress up and play church. We're called to go and be the church. And this is what it looks like, friends. Go fish. Go fish. Cast the net. I've got one last thought, and I promise I'll let you go. Scripture says, immediately they left and followed him. Immediately they left and followed him. In the message, it says, they didn't ask questions. They simply dropped their nets and followed. A little bit of context. I want to be clear. This is... Before Jesus got famous, this was before all the Instagram followers. This was before he walked on water. This was before he raised anybody from the dead. This is just a carpenter who had some conviction, a little street preacher. And yet when he said, follow me, they dropped everything that they knew and they followed him. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? Friends, there's something about this Jesus who's undeniable. I don't even like this illustration, but this is the best I could think of. I, I was thinking, man, when you're walking down a street and you're walking by a bakery and the aroma of the bread is spilling out into the streets and they're cooking almond croissants and cinnamon rolls and fresh cookies. And when you hit that wall of smell, I wonder if you've ever had that moment where there's not a question in the world that enters your mind, only a primal conviction that whatever that is, I need it in my body now. I want it, I don't care what it costs. I don't care about the calories. All I know is whatever that is, I need it now. It's undeniable. Friends, there's something about this Jesus that was so attractive that it made everything they ever knew look so small in comparison that they didn't even ask a question. They just dropped it and followed him. So here's my question. Do you know that Jesus? Do you know that Jesus who says, come and whatever it is that you've built your life acquiring, you're just like, you know what? I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna take the skill set that he gave me and I'm gonna reorient my direction and I'm gonna move right in his do you know the Jesus who saw you and knew you before he called you? Do you know the Jesus who invited you not just to play dress up, but to run the race? This Jesus who invited you not to be less of yourself, but more of yourself for him. He said, if you're a builder, come build. If you're a farmer, come plant. If you're a welder, come join and knit people together for the glory of God. If you're a fisherman, come and for the love of God, fish for men. Cast your nets. I wonder what is it that Jesus is inviting you to let go of today and leave behind? What is the net that Jesus is inviting you to drop so that you can give all of yourself to him? I wanna close with this. This is almost a benediction. I just wanna read this with you in agreement. So followers of Jesus, there's work to do and there's people to see. 
So don't just get to know about God, get to know about the God who knows you. Spend time with him, walking and talking. Get around people who inspire you. Do the hard things that are right instead of the wrong things that are easy. Love the people in front of you, love the people behind you, love the person beside you, love the person who's hardest to love even if that's the person who's looking back at you in the mirror. Friends, don't just bait your hucks, throw them into the sea. Don't just till the soil, throw seeds into the ground. Have conversations about the Jesus you know, the Jesus who saved you, the Jesus who is saving you, the Jesus who loved you, the Jesus who loves you, the Jesus who made you. Don't stop short of what Jesus has invited you to do and called you to do. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You were made for this day and this day was made for you. So come on, friends, it's not enough. We can't be content to talk about fish. Let's go fish. Let's go fish. Let me pray for you, Holy Spirit. I know that you did something in my heart this week, and I just pray, regardless of the words spoken, God, will you work in this moment to stir up, God, a holy restlessness in our heart. God, a holy desire to move, God, to leave behind anything that's enshackling us or ensnaring us, God, so that we can run the race before us. Jesus, embolden us, God. Thank you for the stories, God, of your grace and your love and of resurrection life that we got to see today as people went under and then they came back out, just like you did in the grave. Holy Spirit, move us, compel us. God, leave us. God, in a place where we know, God, to the core of who we are, your great love for us. We love you, Lord. This is all for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Well, have an incredible week. If you have any prayer requests, you can go to prayer.ctk.church. There's no prayer too big or too small. You can also, we'd invite you. We've got a prayer team that'll be in the front. Please come up. We would love the opportunity to pray for you, but have an incredible blessed week. We'll see you next time, church. Bye.